beginning of the first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here comes the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there'll not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went with him into the ban wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids also came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. May the words I speak and the words you hear this evening be in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's lovely to be here with you this evening. Um, this place is dear to me um, because I, as well as doing what you all do here, training for ordination, I lived here permanently for three years. Two of those were on the top floor up behind. Uh, and then in the final year that I lived here when I was deacon, uh, myself and my wife, who had just gotten married, lived in the gate lodge. Uh, I was still very much included and part of the community, not just on the deacon weeks, uh, but in every week. It's lovely to be back this evening. And as much as I hold dear this place for the beautiful building and the beautiful place that it is, even more so do I hold dear the people, and even slightly more so than that, what it is they do. The staff of this place have got three years in which the rest of you get trained for ordination and whatever that can possibly involve. And you do a really good job. Kate, Katie, Bridget, both of you lectured me, uh, and Morris and Paddy are not here. But when we go out into the outer world, not quite the outer darkness, is the verse that carries on after Matthew, but we go out, out of this place into the outer world, into the church, there's so much going on, and I want to open this evening by sharing a little story that my sending bishop uh, shared with me. He was a great man for liking to walk and talk, and one day we met for a talk, which inevitably happened on a walk, and he said to me, as we were walking along, and those of you who know Ferran Glenfield know the way, he kind of, he pulls himself, he was walking along, not necessarily looking at me, looking around the leafy area of rat mines that we were in, it started into this story that I'll never forget about a lifeboat service that was set up. 
It was a group of people decided this is an awful rocky coast we're on. There's constantly ships getting into trouble, lives in danger. So we'll set up, we'll get a lifeboat, and out we go. So the few people that decided to do this went out, as they were called and needed, in their lifeboat, <clears throat> night by night, to save the people out in the water in danger and who needed saving. And eventually, more people drew in to help them. And they decided, wouldn't it be lovely if we hit a boathouse? So a boathouse was duly built. And they continued going out, saving lives. But they had a boathouse to park their boat in, and to hang out in, as it were, in the in-between time when they weren't out saving lives in the rough, choppy sea. And eventually, more people joined them. And they kept doing their life-saving service. And the more people that joined, the more popular it got. And one day it was suggested at the committee meeting that wouldn't it be lovely if we had a couch and a kitchen and a television and everything else and make the place cosy because we're spending a lot of time here. And so that was done. And what they found bit by bit was that the more luxuries they had in the boathouse, the less time they spent going out to sea, saving the people in need on the shipwrecks. And eventually, without any of them realising over the course of time, the lifeboat service had become a yacht club. Such is the life of the church. I'm a great follower of the tradition and the liturgical end of the Church of Ireland. Um, it's something that perhaps mainly I like because I feel most comfortable in, for various ways. But one of the things that goes with that is the lectionary that we follow. And the lectionary in these weeks, the last week, and the coming week again, is actually a real gift to those of us involved in ministry in the church. Because we are on, as we've had in some of the hymns, and also in the readings, we're pushing on, looking towards the end times of, crea of the creation as we know it, and the consummation of the full uh, creation that God has intended. Of course, when we get to Advent in just a few weeks, the whole purpose of Advent is to look towards the end times, the second coming, not necessarily just to count down to Christmas. But for those of us who have the opportunity in our ministry to reflect more deeply on these readings on the Sundays we're currently in, before we get to Advent, these readings prepare us, get us ready, and have us ready to go when we get to Advent. All of our three readings this evening have one thing in common. And it's the urgency that you may have felt has been the undertone of what I've said so far. Urgency is ultimately the work of the church. None of us, if we're being honest, like the idea of the closed door, of the people locked outside in the outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We believe in a God who is love embodied, God who is love and who loves everybody. But when we read the readings, the epistle and the gospel in particular this evening, we're reminded that we are a God also who doesn't operate in the grey area. He's a God who operates in the black and the white. The purpose of this life for every one of us is to hopefully come to faith in Jesus Christ, to experience his grace and goodness for us, and living in that faith and under his grace, come to the full creation that he has intended for us from the beginning in the life come. Joshua 
the urgency in Joshua is from the backstory you know, people that cross into the promised land, and these are the people who have wandered and strayed, and Joshua asks the people, who are they going to serve? Are they going to serve the pagan gods of the land they're in, or the gods they serve to the other side of the river Euphrates? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answer that they will serve the Lord, of course. Joshua doesn't let them off the hook. He hammers it home harder and says, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn on you and do you harm and consume you, even after having done you good. The people haven't been given that warning. Respond yet again, we will serve the Lord. We know how the rest of the narrative of the Old Testament goes. They follow the Lord. And they, perhaps like the people in the life-saving or lifeboat service from the Yacht Club, have forgotten what they're doing. They transgress. They're punished. They're exiled. They repent. God brings them back in. And so goes the circle. The good news for us living in the New Covenant is that we're not serving a God who's going to turn on us and do us harm. When we hear of that all-loving God, loving of all creation, that is what we mean. However, he still wants us to turn to him, follow him, receive his mercy, and walk in his light. And so, in First Thessalonians and Matthew, we get that urgency given to us. In Matthew in particular, in the parable of the ten bridesmaids, five of them foolish and five wise, we can see, if we want, maybe it's not correct, but we can see an analogy for the church of today. Very often the take-home point for people in the pews, in my experience, from this reading, particularly if we don't preach on it, is that those five wise bridesmaids were incredibly greedy and selfish. Why didn't they share out the oil? Jesus in this parable is giving us a reminder that there are some things that we can only do for ourselves. Faith in him is one of them. I grew up Roman Catholic, and it's a great thing in the Roman Catholic tradition, particularly in my generation, that somebody my age, indeed some of my friends, they don't have a faith, they don't necessarily believe in God, but their mother or their granny, and it's generally the women of the family, pray for them, go to church and light candles, and so they feel that they are walking in the light and they are walking with God. That's not true. Yes, they're being prayed for, and of course God will look out for them and care for them, but until they have actually made that decision for themselves, like in this parable, faith is not something that can be inherited from one generation to another. <clears throat> it can be passed on by generations, but it is an individual thing. Ultimately, our faith is between us as individuals and God and nobody else. The one thing for me that stands out of Matthew 25, 1 to 13, is that all 10 bridesmaids fell asleep. Had anybody ever thought of that before? That actually only dawned on me ahead of last Sunday, reading this again, but I don't know how many at the time. All 10 bridesmaids fell asleep, not just the foolish bridesmaids, the wise bridesmaids and the foolish bridesmaids. And they all woke at the time. 
It's become into the middle of the night. In the same way as in 1 Thessalonians and in the Gospel reading, we're experiencing the analogy of a delay, which is looking to the end times and whatever length of delay that is going to be, but we don't know. The delay in this story is midnight and the middle of the night. They've fallen asleep. Somebody calls out that the bridegroom is coming. And then the wise, or the foolish bridesmaids, panic and ask for some of the oil. And the wise bridesmaids, who would be billed as selfish and greedy, say, there isn't enough oil for all of us. You need to go and buy your own. They panic at the last minute now that the bridegroom is on his way. They need to get their lamps in order. Or if we want to see that, we want to get our faith in order. And so off they go to the dealers in the middle of the night to buy their oil. And while they're gone, the bridegroom comes, the door is closed, <coughs> and they come knock on the door, looking to be admitted to the wedding banquet, with the words, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. These are the exact words that Jesus himself used <coughs> elsewhere in Matthew, earlier on in chapter 7, where he says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it is for the wise bridesmaids in our or the foolish bridesmaids in our story that they are not to enter the wedding feast. The warning for us, and I hope the takeaway point for those of you working in ministry is to remember not to skirt around the issue of faith. I would never ever suggest going in beating somebody across the head metaphorically with a Bible. <coughs> it doesn't work, it irates people and makes them angry. But in your ordinary everyday conversations, converse with people. Regularly I encounter old people who say, oh, they wish that their grandchildren were involved in church. They wish they'd come along more often. And I look up and I think, often? Coming along once to begin with might be good. <laughs> but they think, and as people draw towards the end of their lives, they have that hope again that their fate is going to be enough for the generations to come. But if it isn't passed on in real blood when the time comes in terms, then those people are not going to be able to stand up and be counted and experience the grace of God themselves. Our role is to guide those people, to have the friendly conversations and sometimes the friendly but difficult conversations. What's God doing in your life? What does he mean to you? How is he working with you? And more importantly, how is your walk with God going? I don't ever recommend threatening people with the outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't do it. But the urgency still needs to be there for each and every one of us beneath what we do. If we lose sight of what it is we are as ministers of the gospel, we are there to bring people into an understanding of the gospel, into faith in Jesus, and into the promise of everlasting life. That's a difficult job. And when you get ordained, your bishop will give you the sentence that if anybody in the flock is hindered in any way because of your negligence, God's judgment will be great. It's a moment of the ordination service that will weigh heavily. We have the care of the souls in our parishes or churches put onto us. And so we need to be urgent, not like the people in the lock club 
for the people who initially went out into the lifeboat business to go and bring the people in from the storms of sea. That with the good news, the positive stories of our experience, our testimony, our faith, and the examples of grace working within our church communities, that we would indeed be able to encourage and entice and bring people into the same faith and build them up from there. Amen. Amen. Amen.